Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We're here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down at the i just remembered it's not in las vegas at the (laughs) which means now i have to struggle with something in portuguese Mm. because i wanted to say the name of the arena and it's the jeunesse arena jeunesse arena like jeunesse looks like a french jeunesse uh, arena so let's pretend it's french and i'm gonna you know it's probably Junisi or something like that, and I'm just gonna have to sound terrible about it. But yeah, it's pronounced George. George, yeah, pronounced George in Portuguese, actually. Uh, in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, going down this weekend. We're talking about the prelim card right now, uh, with a featured prelim between Mauricio Shogun Hua and Ihor Potieria, because the UFC no- has no idea how to either have fun or send people off with grace and dignity. Mm. Yeah. And so, yeah, we're getting (laughs) a fight that literally nobody other than Shogun Hua would want. Mm -hmm. And in a way that is just most likely to feel like, I I feel like, to make it maximum sad. Mm -hmm. I mean, it would, I would probably be sadder if it was the opening prelim. And it was Shogun <laughs> getting stomped by some 23-year-old Ukrainian uh, in, like, the opening prelim yeah. of pay-per-view. So at least he's getting a featured prelim spot. But, like... Yeah. Everyone goes, oh, anyway, happy retirement. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. yeah. This, this is how you send out a legend of the sport. Yeah, I mean, like, well, who are we kidding? You're gonna... Just just give him a, give him a setup. Who well, cares, I, like, if it's a meaningful fight? Yeah, I guess... Right. You just had, uh, what's his name, that we want to talk about, like, you know, weird Ukrainian fighters. They just had uh, that that one fraud guy who who conned his way into the UFC. Who was that? Uh, The, oh man, I've forgotten his name now. Uh, I'm not familiar with the details of this story. Yeah, you're not? He fought. uh, Oh my God. Oscar Mazarov. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, he got signed to the UFC with like a 24 and 7 record. And by the time he debuted, his record was like 14 and 12. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah, it was 15 and 14 by the time wow. he actually, or 15 and 13 by the time he actually debuted, having a like, tw- it was 24 and 7 when he was signed. Good for and- him. He went out and he got stomped by Alonzo Menafield inside of one round, promptly retired, and then also failed his drug test. <laughs> he, he, he gained my uh, designation of Rookie of the Year for last year in 2022 because honestly, like if you're just a if you're a con man in MMA, what what higher you know what higher mountain could you climb than actually getting to yeah. the UFC off of? Nothing other than bluster and like a really, really mediocre record. He basically won the con man's belt, right? Um, yeah, he's the lineal con man champion. It's very funny too, because like, 
you you have to wonder how self-deluded a person could be because like did he think it was gonna work like what does success look like in this man's mind i i i'm gonna I, win i assume deep down he must have known he it wasn't because he retired right away he just wanted to just have the experience yeah Wow, and now he can tell women in bars for the rest of his life that he's a UFC fighter. Exactly. Uh, just don't look up my record, please. Yeah. Or wait, look up the record on this particular page. I'm going to send you a link. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Here, I'll, send, I'll take a screenshot. I'll show you the screenshot. This is my record. Yeah. Um, no, I completely missed that entire story. That's. I'm going to look into this after we're done here. Yeah, no, the sure dog, uh, the Fight Finder Chronicles is the wow. thing you want to go to. And they did a whole big thing about how they basically, like, some, one record, one fight on his record seemed a little weird. And, or they were coming up, they, they'd come to the realization that uh, fights held by this specific promotion mm-hmm. uh were coming up back as like questionable and like we're probably not held and we're probably not real fights. Wow. And so they started digging into his record, his record overall, and they just found that like half of it was fabricated. Yeah. Some of these details are sounding vaguely familiar now, but I did not pay attention. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, okay. So, so how we got onto this discussion is like, you know, uh, weird Ukrainians. Yeah. This, this is a Phil McKenzie ass matchup. Like, and especially even Phil, I think would, would, would scorn this because ostensibly the, the idea of the McKenzie family glue factory is that it, it is to once and for all persuade delusional aging fighters that they're done. Yeah. You give them a humiliating, crushing loss to finally get it through their heads or what's left of their heads that they can't compete anymore. And so you pick the most freakish athlete with like the least profile possible. Mm-hmm. Um, Shogun has already said he's made like you almost have to believe him because the guy hasn't toyed with retirement before, despite everyone wanting him to. He said, yeah, I'm going to stand firm. I am retiring. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to go back on this. Um, I'm, I'm done after this. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, there's one of two things you can do. You can be ruthless and you can feed what's left of Shogun Hua's name to somebody you think is going to be a contender. Or you give him a gimme. You know what they should have done? Let him go out on on a feel-good win. Instead, they gave him some guy who's still probably going to beat him. Yeah. You know what they should the fight should have been? It just came to me, and it would have been the... At this point, like, obviously, the the real fight, the real you know, thing to do would have been to like convince him to retire after fighting big little nog for the fifth time or something like that. Yeah. Um, but at this point when all of his classic competition that everybody loved to see him fight has retired years ago. Yeah. The right fight would be a like 220 or whatever pound catch weight bout with huggy bear. Oh yeah, yeah. Do a do a joke match. Like make just make it ri- pride hours in here. Yeah, just do something fun and like you know a dude that everybody loves, that everybody feels good about, and who's gonna like put on a good show. Might win, might lose, but you know is gonna come out of that too, being like super fun and respectful and like yeah, yeah. Have, gonna everybody's fun. gonna feel good about it no matter what. Yeah. 
You, uh, instead, we get this. Yeah, <laughs> instead, we get people from the area. Uh, the UFC doesn't know how to develop fighters. They don't know how to take care of fighters. They, they, there is absolutely, and, and, but also like it's half the time. It's like, this feels like they don't even know how to use, yeah. how to properly like use a fighter. Like if you're going to be the most cynical matchmaker possible, again, you like, you use Shogun's name value to prop somebody up, to give someone else some momentum. Yeah. Ihor Potieria is not going to go anywhere. No, he's not very good. No, but he's not bad enough to lose. He's 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 a decent athlete with speed and size for the division. Yeah, and he he showed in his fight with uh, Negamarianu that he can even like take some shots and get yeah. squished for a while and still keep fighting hard and doing damage. Yeah, he's got he has the basic construct of an all right prospect, excepting that you know he's also been doing this for a while now and seems to have no discernible skills yeah granted he's 26 years old i mean maybe they do think he's a prospect they think they're going to develop him or whatever but uh, i don't know i mean you're going to pick him because you can't pick shogun anymore yeah that's it that's about it yeah he's he's gotten to a point he's had a lot of success over the last few years a lot more than you would have credited you know yeah all credit to shogun for hanging on as long as he did um I stopped picking him when he both when he lost to Dan Henderson in twenty fourteen. Mm-hmm. Uh I may I may have stopped actually, you know what? I think I stopped picking him in twenty thirteen when he lost to Chael Sonnen mm-hmm. via oh, submission. Yeah. yeah, that was a rough one. And he fought for another decade. Given that Shogun's prime probably prematurely ended in like 2009. Yeah. The man has had some remarkable post-prime victories. Yeah. Like he has continued battling hell or high water for, like I said, a whole nother decade after that. And he won six fights and lost five. Like, Mm mm-hmm. And it's had you know that fight. He had that fight with Dan Henderson. He had another legendary war with Dan Henderson. He had a great fight in 2015, a rematch with Antonio Rogerio Nogueira. Mm-hmm. Like he he made the best of it all. Credit to him for squeezing every last ounce of juice out of the out of the lime, mm-hmm. out of the lemon. But uh, the last couple fights. Paul Craig, OSP, like everything is just too slow now. Mm-hmm. Everything is zero durability, zero speed. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you so, have to... so he's going to go in there and hit a single leg and take Butieria down and submit him. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see I it. Would, I would ugly as Shogun when possible, but yeah, it's just like why even. For this? Yeah. Come on, guys. Yeah. Send him to Ryzen. Let him find some, you know, some dude there that should have retired 10 years ago to fight. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, Potieria opened at minus 240, got up as high as minus 213 before people started coming to their senses, and he's back down at minus 221. Shogun opened at plus 205. He's currently at plus 177. Yeah. It just... 
I, you know what? I feel for Shogun, especially because, you know, he wants to be, he wants this to be a big grand moment, I'm sure. Yeah. And it, uh, it just doesn't, you know, this is what happens to fighters. Like, un- the sort of non uh, non-contractual fan fighter agreement is that like we're here to support you and cheer you on and be there for you while you make these terrible decisions of absorbing massive amounts of punishment for our entertainment provided you know when to call it good uh-huh because we're not going to be here to cheer for you when it's obvious that you shouldn't be doing this anymore. You know, like that's, that's the unspoken agreement. Like people are going to be here for you to cheer this on, but you have to have the, you know, you have to have the internal clock because we can't be patronizing. I can't be patronizing. At least I'm not going to come out there and be like, no, you need to stop now. I'm telling you, you're done. That that's just cruel and it's needless and it's it it sucks. It sucks when fans do it. But I'm also just gonna stop caring. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just gonna stop watching and stop being interested. And at this point in Shogun's career, I am not interested. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That sucks. All right. That brings us to a middleweight bout. Gregory Rodriguez, Br- Bruno. I mean, I'm, I know it's Bruno, but Bruno Ferreira, and uh, or is it Bono? Bono. <laughs> <laughs> Phil and I, because his nickname is the Hulk. Phil and I were debating which was better. Is it uh, uh, is it Br- Bruno Banner or Bruce Bruno? <laughs> Bruce Bruno, I think, Bruce was the. Bruno uh, is definitely better because <laughs> it sounds barely like Bruce Banner. It sounds like a completely moronic version of that name. <laughs> so yeah, Bruce Bruno, the Hulk. Bruce Bruno, Bruno Ferreira. Um, and yes, it's kind of a nonsense fight. Yeah, well, it was supposed to be Rodriguez versus Brad Tavares. Yeah, which would have been cruel to Brad Tavares, but. Interesting. Un- understandable. A-, a a reasonable continued building block for Gregory Rodriguez to fight guys who are more and more experienced, more and more ex- consistent mm-hmm. in the division. I mean, you know, his wins Dushko Todorovic, Jun Young Park, Julian Marquez, Chidi and Jakawani, they don't really consider- include anybody who can just go out and fight a consistent safe, durable fight for three rounds. Yeah. Jun Young Park is the closest to like a, a staple. Yeah. And fight. Armin Petrosian did and just, and won, you know, you, whatever you think of how that fight was scored. Mm-hmm. So the, the Brad Tavares fight had some interest in that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Brad Tavares out, Bruno Ferreira in, and um, Ferreira has a puncher's chance. Sure. He's, He's a little brick shit house, and uh, I mean he's not even little. I, I, he looks like a light heavyweight. I don't know how tall is he? He is five foot ten. Okay, so he is a little brick shit house. Yeah, he's very stocky. Yeah, he's a little brick shit house, 
and he hits like a truck. Um, and he has he has confidence in that. But pretty much every exchange he creates is just a 50-50 car crash. Mm-hmm. And Gregory Rodriguez has a lot more range and size on him. And every bit of willingness to stand in and create those car crash moments. Yeah. And is a much cleaner puncher as he does it. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah. I got to take Gregory Rodriguez. That's really it. That's basically it. Well, yeah, a guy who will actually enter the exchange like with defense first and then punish you for swinging wildly on him. Yeah. But who might also just have the 50-50 trade with you and be bigger and just as hard hitting. Yeah. There is, Got- you know, there's always with the way Rodriguez fights with his insistence on, you know, we kind of talked about this with Davis and Figueredo in the main event. Yeah. He's another fighter who he wants to be planted. He wants to see what is coming at him. And he wants to have the exchange on those turns. He he adds some slips in there. He's a little more. Yeah, yeah. He's 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 he's. Uh, I think he's he's less slick than he could be. Yeah, he's honestly. less slick than I, he the, could. the thing with him too is he just. I think Gregory Rodriguez just genuinely wants to have fun fights. Like he yeah. likes he likes to go to war with people. He, he likes does. The, he's the a chaos dude who likes and, to bleed. Yeah, honestly, he he gets something out of it. So and that's why. it's got him sparked a couple of times. And yeah, there's nothing. Got, up, about Jordan uh, Jordan Williams that's better exactly. than Bruno Ferreira. Yeah, exactly you know? the fight I was going to reference. Yeah, he's, if anything, a worse fighter. Bigger. Yeah. But uh, if anything, a, an even less, like, a, a, a looser puncher, a messier, yeah. more wide-open fighter. Yeah. So, yeah, it could happen. Yep, but you got to take Rodriguez on, on basic mm-hmm. principle. Yeah, and there's also always the possibility that he will hit a devastatingly clean takedown because he's a fantastic wrestler. Yeah. And uh, probably not maintain any kind of top position because he's going to go for an insane submission attack. But uh, yeah, uh, one of these days it's going gonna, it's gonna to hit. Yep. Because <laughs> he's also, a great wrestler-grappler. He's just, again, too reckless to do those things safely. Should be noted, though, if, if that were the route he wants to go... Um, Pereira is literally fists and shoulders and yeah, abs. Yeah. Like that you look at the the topology pick of that man and it's an ear on a set of lats. Yeah. You sort know? of the guys built like Fajeda have this sort of thing where it's you know how you can't like fold a piece of paper more than eight times? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like it's too <laughs> compact to get another to get a hold of a limb and actually like bend it. It's yeah. Just like, oh, it's actually it's at its limit already. Yeah, so I, I would not expect a submission out of that fight. Yeah, but Rodriguez more experienced, bigger, uh, and technically superior to Fajeda in basically every way. So yep, uh, it's just that he is a wild man, so Fajeda has a chance. Yep. That brings us to a lightweight bout. Oh, wait, no, that brings us to the odds. Mm-hmm. It's always one fight per card that I seem to forget to read odds for. Yeah, just one. Well, I mean, I I forget all the time, but I usually catch myself forgetting. <laughs> but there's all there's often one that I just like. I'll I'll set the post up, and then our our production people in post will be like, "Are there odds for this?" I didn't hear them. I'm like, uh, I don't know. Mm. Could be I just forgot. Um, do we even have? Oh, I gotta probably back out. And damn it. <clears throat> Yeah, we're there looking we at a, a new line one way or the other because this yeah. one was replaced not long ago. 
Rodriguez opened at minus 400, jumped up to minus 330, currently minus 321. Ferreira opened at plus 300, dropped down to plus 270, is currently down at plus 252. Inside the distance, uh, fight doesn't go to decision, is minus 550. Um, under two and a half rounds, minus 325. Ferreira by KO, TKO, plus 450. Rodriguez by KO, TKO, plus 150 or 100. So Surprised that the Rodriguez KO odds are so wide. At, at plus 100, yeah. Wait, wait, no. I thought you said Rodriguez by KO is plus 400 something. No, that's Ferreira by KO is plus 400. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, if you're going to pick an underdog bet, you may as well go for that, right? Yeah. All right. Uh, that brings us to a lightweight bout, Tiago Moises, Melchizio Costa. Mm. And uh, he's got a name like one of like the true biblical angels. Right, right. Kizael. And, his, and his trainer, Metatron. And a nickname that is perfectly in line with the best of Brazilian nicknaming convention, conventions. What is the nickname? Milk. <laughs> no. No, I was just teasing my girlfriend this morning for saying milk. <laughs> she says milk and pillow instead of milk and pillow. That's such that that's very funny. That's like a Midwestern accent thing. <laughs> just because he's got vitiligo, you know that that's milk. Why, yeah. What does it have to do with the vitiligo? Because he's just got big white blotches on his body. Oh, so, oh. <laughs> you know that's the, why the, he's got that nickname. Like, it's like when you put milk in tea, but then accidentally add some lemon. It's just sort of curls and separates. Just, just big splashes. Yeah, you know. he's uh, he's missing out, by the way. Um, I'm not making fun of vitiligo as a condition. No, I know no. it's got some real concerns, but uh, he's got one tattoo, and it's your classic MMA fighter. Uh, like monochromatic portrait. Mm-hmm. I will say that when um, who was our other our UFC fighter with Vitiligo? Oh, uh, Scott Jorgensen. Yeah, Scott Jorgensen, man, that guy had some very bright tattoos. Oh yeah. And the more pigment he lost, the more those things popped. Mm-hmm. I have never seen a UFC fighter with just more vibrant, interesting-looking tattoos because he became progressively more albino. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Acosta, yeah, you know, glad to have him in the UFC. He's a fun fighter. Yeah, really solid action forward striker. Somebody yep. who's he's been in the game a long time, and it shows mm-hmm. that, like, you know, he's got a pretty well developed overall game that he wants to have, and it's a pretty action forward, fan friendly one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's uh, he's one of these guys who he will kind of just take whatever fight his opponent wants to have. Mm-hmm. So, like, if they want to be on the back foot hopping around, which Moisish will, he will pressure. He'll be quite aggressive. Um, but if they insist on pressuring, he will skirt around and try to, to run them into massive shots. He's um, a pretty wild puncher, but a, but a reasonably accurate one for that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He, he like picks his, his range and his, uh, you know, understands his timing pretty well. He has some idea of, uh, of actually like how to chain his strikes together too. So yep. you will see him throwing shots away to set up a one that's actually intended to land. 
he also really likes his spin kicks. Hard kicker in general. Hard kicker in general. But the man loves a spinning back kick. Yep. And, yep. Uh, yeah, I have seen him drop more than one opponent with them. Yep. Just a spinning kick to the liver. Um, so, yeah, given that uh, Moises' style is incredibly passive, I think we are going to see a lot of uh, Mr. Milk just getting to kind of work his kicking game. And yeah. what I'm really... Mm-hmm. I was going to say, a lot of this fight honestly really depends on, for Moises, what fight he brings to it. Like, yeah, this is this is a fight he is fully capable of losing. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's it's one that it seems like with his his experience and his um, his specialized skill, he should be able to guide it into a winning area. But uh-huh. I don't think this is a guy that he can uh, safely like befuddle and and walk into counters. Like uh-huh. not not that that's not going to work at all. But I don't think Costa cares. Yeah, and <laughs> he's got enough experience to where like yeah. Like I say, you know, this isn't somebody that you're just going to sort of surprise or catch out or like catch, you catch being uh, unconfident in the in the fight he wants to have. Absolutely not. He's very unflappable. Yeah. Um, yeah, his fights tend to be chaotic. And uh, I have also seen many fights of his where he, um, yeah, things don't start off that well. And he just completely stays the course and just finds his openings. I, I think Moises is going to eat a lot of nasty kicks. Mm-hmm. Honestly, he's going to back himself into the cage. Melk um, is going to make some questionable calls. He's going to go out there trying weird things, but he is going to have a lot of time to figure out what works. Yep. And I think he's a particularly dangerous kind of action fighter to do that against, specifically because of his, his excellent long-range tools. Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah, the question is really, like, can Moises get him to the ground? Because that is where the bulk of Costa's losses have happened. I think, is it the only times he's been finished have been submissions? Has he been KO'd before? For uh, Costa? Yeah. Yeah, no, he's he's only been submitted. Uh, he Oh, there was he, a retirement TKO early in his career. Yeah, which doesn't mean anything, really. I mean, yeah. at this he, point. He's been submitted, and then otherwise, um, even when he isn't getting finished, which he's clearly not easy to submit. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the the most success his opponents have against him tends to be on the ground. Yeah, he will. He even when he gets good positions on the ground, he gets really aggressive in what he tries to go for. Yeah. And he'll he'll make t- chancy moves. He'll roll for leg locks. He'll do stuff like that where you're just like, oh, that that really took you out of position to. Yeah to stay in control of this fight. But I've also seen him spend lot, like get sweeps and mm-hmm. get on top of people. And he, he can do some, some serious, some solid damage from on top ground and pound, stuff like that. You know, it's a pretty yeah. complete game overall. I mean, Makachev is the only guy I've ever seen due to Moises, uh, what he did to him on the ground. Yeah. yeah. Typically, uh, Moises is just a really tight positional grappler. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's probably his avenue, but he it's he's going to get there the most passive way possible. Yeah, and I'm I'm kind of inclined to pick Costa here. I, I, if it weren't short notice, I think mm-hmm. I would too. But I think that like uh, you know one one of uh, it was his loss to Marcus Vinicius was a short notice loss for Melk, mm-hmm. and I think his 
style. Like he he it just made it a lot easier. Like he just t- he tangled up a lot more with Vinicius in that fight. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wonder if he'll just kind of press Moises Moises into the clinch a lot here and let Moises's wrestling game take yeah. him out of the fight. That's the thing with with Costa is that he's. I really feel with just a little bit more discipline, he'd be a very good fighter. And I think he, I think he is growing that discipline. Yeah, uh, and has been in more recent bouts. But I just kind of feel like this this short notice opportunity, we're not going to see the most disciplined version of him. Yeah, for all his experience, he is also only twenty six. Yeah, this, this guy has potential. He does. He he's, he might be a bit of a young veteran. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody yeah. who's clearly battled his way up through lots of hard sparring. Lots of just being a tough dude in the gym and trying to be technical and learn how to compete with other guys and mm-hmm. give him another five years of that. And he'll be, a, you know, could be suddenly a contender all of a sudden if he sticks around. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very interested to see him uh, see him progress. But, yeah, he definitely still has that. He, he is like we talked about with with uh, with Hobo Cop. Mm-hmm. He has he just has that undeniable action fighters instinct. Yep. Yeah, where like you you've taken him down in the first round, he comes out in the second round. First thing he does, flying knee. Yeah, I mean, it's like I want to murder you for thinking you can get away with this against me, and it's a very you know high reward, very high risk way of dealing with things. So he will leap himself into the clinch, even against a guy who has proven he can take him down from that range. Um, yeah, if he could, if this was a fight, if like man, if if this this if this were somehow his. Uh, coming out performance where he just takes it super seriously and just f- fights Moises where he's best and only where he's best, I think he could kind of trash him. Yeah, I mean, we've seen Moises really, really get wrecked by long rangy strikers who can yeah. work with speed and power. But Moises feasts on unforced errors. Yep. That's his whole thing. And uh, yeah, Costa definitely makes those. I'm still going to pick him just for the fun of it. Sure. Uh, I still think it's a reasonably competitive looking matchup for him, but he yeah. is going to make those mistakes and Moises might just swamp him on the floor. Uh, minus 300. Uh, op- Moises opened at minus 300, currently minus 390. Costa opened at plus 250, is currently at plus 302. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it could be closer, but the short notice is a, is a problem. Like this is this is a tra- a bit of a trap fight to me for Moises. Where very much like, so, yeah. If he shows up wrong, you know, this is a he's a dude who got absolutely, you know, yeah, he got out grappled, now wrestled by Ismail Islam Makachev, but he also just got like detonated standing by Joel Alvarez. Yeah. Well, Alvarez. And granted, Alvarez is massive, but um, but but yeah, he's just it, yeah. Even if he shows up as well prepared as he ever has been, there is just a fundamental flaw of his approach, which is that it's it's very anti modern MMA. Yeah, he's, uh, he's just he really passive. Got held on the fence for five rounds by Robert Watley at LFA seventeen. Yeah, you know, so there yeah. are. There are paths to win here for Costa. Yeah, Costa's a guy you can like sucker into fighting your fight. Moises is a guy who will just insist that you <laughs> insist that you have your fight. Yeah, it's it's a dangerous way to to go at this level. It is. All right, that brings us to a welterweight bout: Munir Lazez, Gabriel Bonfim, and um, 
yeah, once once again, there are a lot of fights on this card that like you know they weren't all planned to be other bouts, but they just don't feel like they were very interestingly put together. Yeah. Like, I get that Munir Lazez lost to Warley Alves, but then he came right back in, mm-hmm. in his UFC debut, not his UFC debut, but his second UFC fight. And then he came right back and he had another great fight against Angelusa yeah. that went a long way to showing what he showed against Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, which is that he can be tough as hell mm-hmm. and deliver a pretty consistent sniper style. Yeah, it's a great from, fight too. For round after round after round. This has the yeah it has this prelims have the the weird feeling of like a Europe card yeah or like they just like <clears throat> scraped the bottom of the barrel for except it's Brazil like you already yeah. have a boatload of Brazilian fighters and yeah and well, I mean they just got a bunch of tough guys that they need to give co- contract fights to and then they went and they uh, raided uh, a lot of this too is they raided uh, LFA yeah a lot of these guys are Costa is like an LFA champ right yeah and I, and Luan Lacerda just came off LFA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think there was one other one too, but any Bruno Bruno Ferreira maybe was an LFA guy too. He went through no, he went through contender series, but anyway, there, there was another one for sure. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Gabriel Bonfim. Um, you know, he seems like a decently well-rounded fighter. Mm-hmm. He likes to strike a lot. He's got some decent power on it but he ends up having to get you know he ends up it feels like his game ends up having to be on the ground Mm -hmm. and the transition to getting there isn't the cleanest Mm -hmm. he's not just like an absolute oh once gabriel bonfim starts wrestling you're going down he's more kind of the through the mix of this fight, this fight might end up on the mat, and if it does, then you're in some trouble. He's a really good grappler. And I just don't think that's going to work against Lizez. No. Lizez is really stable and really kind of locked into a very single form. Yeah, and anything but the most overwhelming, like, shot takedown means clinching with Lizez, where he's kind of terrifying. Yeah, so I just kind of have to pick Munilo's as. Yeah, I, I got I got really nothing to add. Uh, there's just not a lot to say about Bonfim's game. It's pretty standard, formless young MMA fighter. And um, yeah, I just don't see how he's going to reliably avoid having a kickboxing match with a t- technically much better kickboxer. Yeah, what's the uh, what's the size difference here? Just out of curiosity. Bonfim is 6'1 with a 72-inch reach, and Lazez is 6'1 with a 76-inch reach. Yeah. So it's uh, something that, you know, Bonfim is, it's, it's rare that Lazez fights somebody his height, but yeah. he's still going to have a pretty significant reach advantage if these stats are true. Yeah. And uh, he's just a better striker. Yep. Odds, interestingly, are entirely skewed Bonfim's direction. He opened at minus 140, dropped to minus 180. He's currently minus 184. Lazez opened at plus 120, jumped up to plus 153. He's currently at plus 152. That is puzzling. Yeah. I mean, I get, I, I feel like I haven't seen a lot of the Contender Series bump lately, but maybe that it's also he's undefeated. So. Yes. 
he's getting something off that. But really, before his last three bouts, Bonfim um, was not fighting any competition at all, really. And then, like, I, you know, you go look at that Trey Waters fight, and Trey Waters had no trouble at all landing lots of hard shots on Bonfim. Yeah. As a fairly unathletic but big, tall, rangy striker, mm-hmm. he was landing at will. And it was really the fact that when Bonfim shot in for a takedown, Waters jumped on the guillotine. Yeah. That doomed him. Yeah. Like, he got Von, Von Flued. He got Von Flued out of that. So. Yeah, I don't I don't really I don't know. Like I, I'm just not I like his grappling game a lot. I think it's crafty. I think he's good positionally and I think he can uh I think he's aggressive with it. But I don't see the I don't see the transition you know, I don't see the other pieces that make it mm-hmm. oh, this guy's just gonna go out and out grapple people automatically. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah, me neither. Oh, it was the other Bonfim. I'm guessing they're brothers. He was yeah, the other guy that uh, they got to be because uh, they both even, came through LFA. Yeah, and even though Ismail, who's coming up soon, is the smaller one, he must be the older brother because his nickname is Maheta Hammer. Yeah, and Gabriel's nickname is Mahatinya. Little Hammer. Little Hammer. <laughs> yeah, Hammer he, Junior. Gabriel is 25. Uh, Ismail is 27. There you go. That is not that's not nothing because Lizez he hasn't been around for very long in the UFC, but he is thirty five and coming off a, and has been fighting just not very consistently for a decade. Yeah, so, there is something to that, you know, but I wouldn't credit it just at the moment. No, no, yeah, Lizez is the pick. All right, that brings us to. Uh, Heavyweight bout, Shamil Abdurahimov, Jailton Almeida, and um, it's, a sad, it's sad send-off times for your boy, Shamil. Yeah. Is this me or you? It's you. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I don't know. Is Jailton going to be a light heavyweight or a heavyweight? He says he's going to be a heavyweight. Okay. I think it's fine for him. I mean, yeah, he's got the he is exuding the dad energy of not giving even the tiniest shit about who he is fighting yeah. in the cage yeah. and being absolutely dominatingly confident. Now, yeah. that, he's six foot three, like he's got the and the 79 inch reach. His frame can certainly support him being a heavyweight. Mm hmm. He also, yeah, the the dad energy really came through in the heavyweight debut where he like, yeah, he came in. There was clearly a tiny hitch where he was like, oh, I'm used to people's bodies just exploding when I get a hold of them. Yeah. <laughs> At light heavyweight, just completely, uh, just completely out muscling people. And clearly it was not as easy. Yeah. Getting Parker Porter's big ass off his feet. Uh-huh. But um, 
he wasn't bothered by it, which is the no. main thing. It didn't yeah. seem it didn't he didn't lose confidence. He didn't have the feeling that somebody like, say, John Jones might have trying to take down a bigger man and failing where it's like, oh, God, this is my worst fear. Yeah. Um, he was like, oh, OK, I have to do things a little differently. I got to work a little harder, whatever. He's a great athlete in stupendous condition and who just happens to be a tremendously skilled wrestler and grappler. Yeah. And then you see like he shows up against they they, they throw Anton Takali uh-huh. at him after that. And that was just like an act of cruelty. Just like that is the kind of raw confidence that you re- like that is, you know, that, that was just like Almeida's just out there like, OK, well, you've thrown me a snack. <laughs> I'll eat it. But yeah, come on. This isn't even a fight. Yeah, he's like, I didn't even have to chew. Yeah. What is this? <laughs> At least Parker Porter had to gnaw on him a little bit. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, from that perspective, like, I think this is a this is a perfectly reasonable use of a, of an aging, crafty yeah. veteran like uh, Abdurakimov. He's, for as long as he can avoid just getting blown off his feet, he does have... A, a a trickiness and a depth of skill that uh, Almeida has rarely faced before, if ever. Uh-huh. He could run him into some big counters. He can stay away at a distance, make him maybe draw some ugly shots out of him. Yep. Maybe work him with some kicks. He's got a good single layer of takedown defense. Yeah, and and it's much easier when you are far away and you're forcing the other guy to cover a big gap in order to get in on the shot. Um, easier to get by with just a single layer. But um. You know, he's also been looking shopworn. The durability for a little while now. The durability is not there anymore. No, the the durability's not there. I think some of the speed has gone. Yeah. And uh he was already often a little too passive for his own good, a little too counterpunchy. Mm-hmm. And um and a little too reliant too on being light in his feet and being able to just hop away from people. That even like when 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 Big Dawkus got his hands on him, he was just able to crash through and land. Yeah. Um, so you you just have to assume that an athlete like Almeida can literally fumble his way through that dangerous range, eat whatever he's got to eat, get his hands on Shamil and uh, and ragdoll him. Yeah. So I hope to see a little pushback. I hope to see him have to overcome some difficulty, but even that might not happen. It's likely that he will just go out there and take Shamil down instantly and yep. uh, do his Geraldton Almeida thing. Yep. Jacare 2.0. Mm-hmm. Uh, Almeida is opened at minus 900. It's currently at minus 1,023. Abdurahimov opened at plus 600. It's currently at plus 623. That is certainly too wide for any heavyweight fight. Yeah. But it is also, uh, yeah. Yeah. A, a classic refrain of the show. Those odds are too wide, but what would the right odds be? They'd yeah. They'll be very lopsided. Yeah. Minus 1,200. Fight doesn't go to decision. Almeida TKO KO is plus 180. Uh, Almeida inside the distance minus 550. Yeah. 
Almeida by submission. Where we got Almeida by submission? Come on, Almeida by submission minus one sixty five. Yeah, if you're the kind of if you're the kind of uh, of uh, financially reckless dummy who would get uh, drawn in by, um, what were the other odds we were looking at? Somebody winning by KO. Oh, Rodriguez's opponent. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. the kind of person who looks at that and you're like plus four hundred for KO. Knowing Rodriguez, maybe I'll take a stab at it just for fun. Yeah, this is the line you need to draw for yourself. Yeah, <laughs> they have made these odds so wide to to tickle that part of your brain that sees the possibility of financial gain and gets excited. The reason they are so wide is that Shamila is not going to win. Like the yeah. most you can possibly hope for is that he makes Childen work for it. And as I yeah. said, it's quite likely that even that doesn't happen. Yeah. So yeah, do not do not. <laughs> be suckered by those underdog odds. It ain't gonna happen. No. All right, that brings us to a lightweight bout: Terrence McKinney, Ismail Bonfim, and uh, the big hammer. You know, I feel if if Terrence McKinney wasn't so into himself, I would feel a little bad for him yeah. for this fight. Yeah. Because he This is what you get. You talk yourself up, you you know, you use your mouth to get these to get to the UFC. This is what you get. Well, it's not even he used his mouth to get to the UFC, but he's just very certain that he is a top ten fighter right now. Yes. McKinney. And you gotta have that. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. But you know, it was clear I remember when this fight got announced, it was clear he felt hard done by. Because mm-hmm. he's like, I'm trying to get all these big fights. I can't. Get, the only fight I could get it was to accept some newcomer. Because nobody wants to fight me. Well, yeah. Nobody. And I mean, to be fair, he may have a bit of a point there because he has enough profile that probably there is a little bit to be gained by going in there and beating him. Maybe. Right. I mean, I, I don't know how much he doesn't. There's not enough. I wouldn't say there's thinks, but there's not a, as much to be gained by fighting him as it is dangerous to fight him for what a complete whirlwind he is for That's five true. minutes. That's true. Where like he might beat anybody within the first five minutes of a fight. Yeah, that's true. You know, dude is amazingly fast and starts with a absolute fearless recklessness that is you know unmatched by most fighters yeah it either works right away or it soon after completely stops working yeah yeah and so like yeah there's just not a lot to be gained from fighting terrence mckinney which is why i say i would feel a little bad for him except that he you know also feels very hard done by and so i don't have to he's doing it for himself Mm -hmm. um because this is a bad fight. This is a this is a really tough fight for him. Yeah. I want to say it's a bad fight for him. But Ismail Bonfim is a pretty clean puncher. Mm-hmm. He is uh, much more so than his brother. Seems like a pretty complete, uh, well-rounded MMA fighter who is just, you know tough and has all the skills and has a well-rounded MMA style um, with probably some, you know, with some solid positional grappling and 
solid wrestling, but mostly just a solid punching style. Mm-hmm. And he has never been knocked out. Mm-hmm. He's definitely tough. Yep. And if he can survive for five minutes against Terrence McKinney as a newcomer, there's a real good chance that he will have enough left in the tank to win. That's literally all you have to do to have a more than reasonable shot at winning is not get cooked instantly. Yeah. Because McKinney destroys himself in the effort of trying to get that for that, that immediate finish. Yeah. And I mean, even to the point that, Against everybody, he walks himself onto a shot that almost knocks him out in the first round. Yeah. Against Eric Gonzalez. He had Eric Gonzalez dead to rights and almost got knocked out within those first two minutes and 17 seconds just walking onto a big counter hook that he had his chin in the air and his hands down and was sure was not coming. Mm -hmm. So it's like 50-50 early, maybe a little less because he's so confident. And then it's he just cannot win after that. Yeah, he he burns every ounce of energy he has. Yep. And uh, is that ever going to change? I mean, would that Drew Dober fight not be to a reasonable person a strong hint that this style is not sustainable? That there is a certain level at which, even if you have all the success you want early, it's just not going to lead to an immediate win. <sighs> that like you can hurt a good fighter, and it doesn't mean you're going to finish them. I, I don't. He hasn't learned yet because based on his last fight, yeah, he's still doing in there doing the Terrence McKinney thing. Yeah, I think that it's not going to change. I think the only thing that's going to change is basically it's just going to have to be a long overtime thing. Yeah, where if he can do this for long enough, then he will find ways to fight on after fights get hard and go go south for him. Yeah. And that would just be the way but that that would have to be the correction. But he just doesn't have any like he can't even this isn't even a guy I trust to get to a second wind because he doesn't have any self-preservation skills. Yeah. Or he, he, yeah. He, or, yeah. No, he, I don't he, worry. He keeps I'm trying amazed. to fight as if he's fresh. It's all he knows how to do. Yeah. After he's gassed, he just keeps trying to have the same kind of fight and just it just starts not working. Yeah. I think I'm going to pick Ismail Bonfim. Yeah, me too. Just as a trap fight. I mean, the, the thing is, Bonfim, the last loss he had in 2014, eight years ago, albeit, it was a submission. And, you know, to, one of the great to things... To Moicano, I believe. Yeah, to Hanato Moicano. And one of the great things McKinney can do, along with all of his other, you know, his fast twitch uh, dynamic skills, is that the man can hit a takedown and a back take like yeah. nobody's business and get to a rear naked choke. Like he, he has all the parts. He is an incredible dynamic fighter in all areas, grappling, wrestling, and striking. So, you know, that's not to say that he's not going to go out there. And even if he can't knock, knock Bonfim out, just create a scramble that he can win. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I think too, for Bonfim being a bit of a fire plug, Mm -hmm. that is also just going to serve him pretty well in that regards, in those regards of just being able to 
survive, even if he even if he gets ta- his back taken, even if he get, is forced into scrambles, just being able to survive those positions, mm-hmm. along with also just having a ton of experience at this point. You know, more than his brother, even he's been fighting since 2011. Yeah, there are now. To be fair, there are sprinkled in there a lot of gimmies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. These are not both for both of them. These are not fights where they've always been fighting great competition all the time. And it says a lot about Bonfim going forward. You know, I wouldn't pick him to become some instant lightweight success. That the moment he started consistently fighting dudes with good records, all of those fights went to decisions mm-hmm. regionally. Like. Not a big enough puncher, not a good enough lockdown grappler, not not enough of anything to suddenly start finishing everyone when he stopped fighting. Yeah, but I I consider that a better sign for a fighter than, you know, like that's normal. You get to a level where he has already had to learn and succeeded despite that. He's had to learn that you can't just wreck these good good opponents. Yeah, McKinney has had the opportunity to learn that and he cannot change. No, he's fully in the belief that he can wreck anybody. Yeah. And he kind of can like he is a big athletic he could yeah, he could wreck almost anybody but it's just yeah that is that is not a winning strategy. It is, uh, up, McKinney up is, to the point of a Drew Dober. Yeah, McKinney is the clearest example we have had in a long time of the idea that being an incredible athletic talent kind of poisons you can poison yeah. you from getting better technically. Yeah, for sure. Because you just, you, you know what you're capable of doing athletically and you just don't feel like, well, it's like, why, why would I change? Why would I, why would I try doing more things if yeah. I can always have the out of my athletic ability? Yeah. Why would I learn, which is really a process of agreeing with, you know, uh, of, uh, of accepting that I've been wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> An uncomfortable experience for any human being. Why would I go put myself through that when it sometimes it's, it's still kind of working, you know, yeah. and I, I can, can just turn around in my next fight and just ice somebody within a round. Yeah. And so, yeah, the Drew Dober fight can look at him and be like, I hurt him really badly. I -hmm. had it right there. You know, I do that. I I have that fight 10 times. I think I win seven of those. Yeah. So, yeah, it could easily work. But um, I I think that the story on Bonfim is really just that he is quite solid. Yep. And this might be the first time that uh, McKinney faces somebody who is not on the level of a Drew Dober, but who just stylistically isn't really capable of getting blown out that easily. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And, and again, the real problem is not what is Bonfim good at beyond being solid and being difficult to finish. The real problem is what happens to McKinney after he doesn't get an early yeah, finish. I mean, we do. We have like, we have that Sean Woodson fight to go by too. Yeah. Yeah. They're like Sean Woodson's nobody's idea of an incredible athlete. No, but he was just solid and durable and going to be there for a couple of rounds. Yep. And he beat Terrence McKinney. Yeah. You don't even have to be a guy who's finishing people at a, when you get to the higher level to finish it against McKinney is going to present itself as long as you can survive. Yeah. So I'm going to take on theme here for the, the upset. And like I say, I feel, I, I feel a little bad for McKinney. I, I the, his, his, his extreme overconfidence and unwillingness to sort of like seemingly unwillingness to process what he needs takes an edge off of that feeling bad. 
but uh, you know, he 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 is getting kind of a raw deal of like being an extremely, uh, you know, thrilling, fun finisher who's out there pushing his own brand and looking to climb up the ranks and just having to go back and fight another guy at the bottom of the division that is tough and unknown. Yeah, well, uh, he should take this as his opportunity to get better at MMA. Yeah, I know. I don't feel bad because McKinney still has time to improve and truly he needs these kind of, he needs some glue factory moments early in his career. He needs some prospect losses. And if it's a prospect loss against somebody that he thought he shouldn't even like, it's an indignity to even have to fight him all the better. Cause it's good. If, if anything is going to convince him, you need to like learn to, you know, fight a second round. Uh, yeah, although it, Derek Miner wasn't that then. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I know, I know. What else are you going to do? I mean, it, yeah, it's true. You're going you're to continue giving McKinney like 30, 70 matchups against much better fighters who have already proven it? What? That's not fair to them. No, I know. Drew Dober, if he wasn't like Drew Dober, I love the man for taking a fight against anybody, but like yeah. he had no reason to fight Terrence McKinney just because he's loud on social media and he's exciting. No. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm fine with this matchup. I would like to see it as an opportunity for McKinney to learn and improve as a fighter because he's clearly got immense potential. Yep. But uh, until I see that, I am going to occasionally pick him to lose to just well-rounded, solid fighters like this. Yep. Kenny opened at minus 131, got up as high as minus 110, is currently back down at minus 131. Uh, Bonfim opened at plus 111, got down as far as minus 110, and is currently back up at plus 107. These odds are still basically close to dead even, but mm-hmm. they should be dead even. Like, if we're really looking at it here, I get that McKinney is the flashy, you know, the flashy finisher here, mm-hmm. but I don't, you know, Bonfim's good. He's mm-hmm. solid and he's a good fighter. And he's still in his prime and he's got tons of experience. So it's not really going to be in, you know, there's nothing about this fight that should really shock him, except that McKinney has the kind of speed that will shock anybody. Right. Yeah. Up. You can't help but be shocked right away, but yeah, yeah. you just got to survive. That brings us to a welterweight bout. Warley Alves, Nicholas Dalby. And uh, yeah, take it away. It's so weird that Worley Elvis's record is just 14 and five. Yeah. Like he's been in the UFC. I mean, he has, he must've been in the UFC for like a decade now. Yeah. He, he got into the UFC in 2014. Yeah. So. Um, he's just fought relatively infrequently for a guy with that tenure. I think two, maybe. two times every year, except for 2017 where he only fought once and then he didn't fight at all in 2020 or 2022. Yeah. So a couple of years that he has not fought in there. And then never a year where he's fought a lot. Yeah, speaking of athleticism being a uh, a crutch that can hamper growth. Yeah. Alves has, he is, for all that tenure, more or less the exact same guy he was yeah. when he got here. It really is like, what is the difference between the guy who stole a fight over Alan Joban and lost to Brian Barbarena and yeah. beat Colby Covington to the guy who beat Munir Lazez with body kicks mm-hmm. and then got iced by Jeremiah Wells and submitted by Randy Brown. Yeah. Like what's the where where's the line between these guys? You know, he's yeah. a slightly 
his technique when it lands is sharper now, but his decision making moment to moment is no better. Yeah, he has just I mean, he's 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 more um, successful than I really kind of expect McKinney to be because he is at least a little more measured by nature. He's not he doesn't go out there and just implode within the first three minutes of a fight. Um, and the result is that because he's still so inefficient and throws with so much power, does everything so powerful that at his slower pace, he, he, he buys himself about like four extra minutes of reliable cardio yeah. uh, co- compared to McKinney. Yeah, otherwise, I will say I actually, I, I, I would expect McKinney to be as successful, maybe even more so because he fights more often and he is actually just faster. But, okay. Yeah. But, but it'll end up evening out about the same, you know? Yeah, the point is that Alves is also fast and powerful and gets by on those things. Exceptional athlete. Yeah, and gets by on those things. And like McKinney, with some differences, he tends to fall off at some point if it doesn't immediately get him a win. Yeah. And with Alves, it's it's even... The unfortunate thing for him that is good for McKinney is that there's a mental block there, too, for Alves, clearly. Mm -hmm. Where, like... Well, McKinney's got a different kind of mental block. Yeah. The kind where you, you, you can't learn. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, Alves kind of has that, but it's also there's a block in the cage where he yeah. can be doing fine and not tired and just get to a point where it just seems like he kind of checks out or, mm-hmm. like, he stops. You know, like 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 that triangle choke loss to Randy Brown. Yeah. It just made no no sense at all. Yeah. Like he just yeah, it's like he just sort of gets it. bored. <laughs> yeah. He just sort of, yeah, I think it's just because this is a, this is what happens when the fighter does not have a process. Yeah. He's like, he goes out there, he tries the things, maybe yep. they work really well. You know, the big body kick, uh, the short explosive combinations, the mm-hmm. lunging right hand, maybe these things work. Um, but even if they do like, they're going to work a little less as the fight goes on. And then what do you do? Like, what am I supposed to, I'm supposed to know how to set these things up. I'm supposed to know how to use the fact that my opponent has adjusted to them to do something else. I can't do anything else. Yeah. yeah. I have these four things. So how badly is he going to beat Dolby's ass before he runs out of ideas? <laughs> that's a, that's a worthwhile question. Um, Probably pretty badly, actually. Yeah, that's the unfortunate thing. <laughs> right? He's probably going to have a decent amount of success against Dolby. He might even drop yeah. it. Like, yeah. But Dolby is the exact opposite. Like, Dol- yes. Dolby is such a consistent, trusty fighter. He, I mean, we know what this fight looks like, and it is that Warley Alves wins round one, mm-hmm. Nicholas Dolby wins round three, and yeah. what happens in the middle is the question. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to go with Dolby just for being a workhorse. That's, yeah. Um, yeah, even if he's his bad, things are still happening in round two, that he'll be out there like having an ugly clinch fest, grinding on Alves. Like, I, I just I, I just don't like picking guys like Alvi, uh, Alves in, in fights like this, like. I think um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Alves and I'm just gonna sadness hedge a little bit because I really want Dolby to win this. Yeah. But I feel like it's he he's at the point Dolby's at the point where physically he's losing steps 
that like even you know i mean when i know he he just beat claudio silva but like that was the ultimate obvious win for nicholas dalby is yeah. a 40 year old claudio silva where it's just yeah. like yeah no Claudio Silva will absolutely spend himself in that first round, and yeah. then you will come back and take that fight from him. Who just retired, I believe. Claudio yes, he Silva. Did. Props to uh, one of uh, the UFC's most infrequently active but uh, greatest dark horses. Yep, absolutely. And An incredible resume for those those five years where he fought once every other year. Yeah, but really, honestly. That means to Ronson run for Dalby was not great. Yeah, it's true. He got pieced up by Jesse Ronson. That Rodriguez fight, like, it was kind of a gift decision. Mm-hmm. I I love Dalby, but he he kind of wall installed his way through a fight where Dal where Ro- Rodriguez was notably outstriking him. Mm-hmm. But and what I said, but I mean, hey, yeah, <laughs> it's gonna wall install Alves, too. Yeah, I mean, it could work, it could work again. And Alves isn't gonna cope with it as well. No, I, it could work again. Dolby could steal this away, and I will be happy because I love Nicholas Dolby, I love his story. I, he, you know, he's another dude. I love how much work he's put into himself, into his career. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm gonna pick Warley Alves. Yeah, fair enough. I think he's going to do too much damage early, and Dolby won't be able to come back hard enough to win. Yeah, Dolby's 38. I mean, he's one of those yeah. guys who cannot afford physical deterioration the way exactly. like Alvi. Uh, I keep saying Sam Alvi like he's Sam Alvi. Yeah, the way Alves. the way Alves can. Yeah. Alves is a slight favorite, but a minus 110 jumped up to plus 148, and is currently back down at minus 118. Dolby opened at minus 110, dropped down to minus 175, and is currently up at minus 101. All right, that brings us to a woman's featherweight bout. I don't know why this is a woman's featherweight. Uh, did Josiane Nunes miss weight last time? She fought Ramona Pasquale. She made, that was a featherweight bout. She made weight for that. That was a featherweight, yeah. She made weight for the bantamweight bout against Bia Malecki. Uh, who, who knows? Why and, is there a women's featherweight? Yeah, and then her last two opponents were forced out of those cards. So there's no like, and the UFC by all by all signs is about to close this division. Like fighters, multiple fighters on the roster have been like the UFC is telling has told me you fight at bantamweight or not at all. So. I don't know why this fight is happening in the featherweight division. Who knows? Um, and I don't really actually think that it's honestly a very good fight for Josiane Nunez. Mm. I'm going to say it. Like, Zara Farron is a mess. Mm-hmm. But She's a tall, rangy mess who can kind of pump out a one-two and do that pretty well. And that's like she gets taken off of her game if you do anything else to her. But if that's all she has to do, 
her punches are pretty sharp, and she can deliver a fair bit of power. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, Felicia Spencer found out pretty quickly in their bout that she did not want to have to hang out at range against Zara Farron for any time at all. She was much less comfortable out at range even than she was against Norma Dumont, just for the size and the speed that Farron had out there. And the proactivity. And the proactivity, yeah. Dumont does not have. Yeah. And Nunez is... uh, Five foot two overhand reliant clubber who uh, has kind of had, to, even against Bia Malecki, had to get into like brutal wars against her opponents. Yeah. I, I'm going to pick Zara Fan. Like, if, 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 Nunez isn't gonna take her down. She's five foot two, and she's just gonna throw overhands. And maybe that'll be enough. Maybe she'll get the knockout. I mean, somebody who's like not particularly fast and is tall, and he likes to stay in range and counter. Like that is a overhand city. It is overhand city. I just, I don't think that that Nunez's overhand is. Even that, like trained. No, I just don't think it has to be. Yeah, um, that, that, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm still going to take her. I just think she's hyper aggressive. Yeah, and Farron is like a pretty like measured, slow paced fighter. Mm-hmm. Who again, like her her reaction to somebody coming in and swinging on her is to stay basically exactly where she is. I think she just expects that people are going to be too far away to hit her. I think she, she expects that two people that people are going to be put off by her striking. Yeah, you know, I think that's yeah. really good. you're going to swing your way in, and I'm going to you know pop you with a couple of like low powered shots that are just more accurate. And I'm tall; I can see everything. I don't think she's that low powered. I just think she's a miserably bad grappler. I, I mean, low powered in that she doesn't like put everything in. Her yeah, 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 yeah. She's she's a reasonably powerful striker. She just she she goes in there without a ton of intensity. Very measured. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I just think like I think they're gonna have three rounds of the ugliest swinging cling fight possible. Yeah, and I'm gonna take Farron to win it because she's six inches taller and has six inches more reach. Pro- provided that Nunez just bashes her way in and swings overhands, I think she's gonna land some devastating shots. I just Could think. Be don't think Farron is fast enough and, and th- with her height, she doesn't really have any actual proactive defense. She just, no, she doesn't. Uh, her head kind of stays right there. I mean, even Felicia Spencer was like swung at her and then just goes with like a wild, lazy backhand and just yeah. clips her on the chin uh, while she's still like sort of carefully considering which counter to throw. I yeah. think she's, I think she's going to get surprised. I, you know, I, I kind of, I kind of hope that's the thing that happens because I think that Nunez has a lot more to gain. There's a lot more room for her to develop and gain and mm-hmm. put together a good style and become a better fighter. But like at flyweight. Yeah, I, I don't know why the hell this is happening. Why she's at featherweight? Yeah. Like 
she's five foot two. Yeah. She's not even Jessica Andrade. No. If in terms of like bricked up powerhouses, like yeah, it's true. She's just this is this feels like a pure hubris kind of thing to me, where it's just like no, I'm I'm a physical wrecking machine. It's like you couldn't knock out Ramona Pasquale. Yeah, that's true. You know, that's true. That is a bad sign. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so, whatever. I'm, I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna take Zara Farron to score an ugly upset that makes everybody be like, "Why did you do this?" Yeah. But uh, Josiane Nunez is clearly the better fighter with a better future, and unsurprisingly, a big favorite. So I know I knew I'd be going out on a limb with this one. But mm-hmm. Nunez opened at minus three twenty five and it's currently at a minus five thirty seven. Farron opened at plus two seventy five and it's currently up at plus three ninety seven. I, I hope Nunez goes out and ices this thing and makes me look like an idiot because I would like to see her put something together. Mm-hmm. I just this feels like a stupid fight. It is a stupid fight. And like that's the thing too, is that if this were people would you know, people can rightly be out there and be like, if this were Ryzen or if this were, you know, some other like if this were Pride, you'd be cheering this kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, because they did it all the time with intention. There would be like a storyline. You would get to hear about Josiane Nunez and her hopes of like being a giant killer and wanting yeah. to go, you know, and it would be a whole they were dedicated to building the narrative of what these fights meant to the fighters and why they would do them. Like those awesome clips of Minua Man like practicing his Hongman Choi overhand. Exactly. <laughs> like you see him on like a a, a dummy that's like nine feet tall yeah. practicing and, jumping and punching. And, and they did it regularly so that it had a per they they clearly felt these fights had purpose and they gave purpose to the fighters doing them. Yeah. The UFC has no interest in that. Yeah, the UFC has no interest in novelty of any kind. So it is yeah, kind of weird. So, so when you do a, a novelty match like screwball fight, it just feels awkward. And dumb and pointless. I'm like, you're never doing this again. This isn't something you're making anything out of. You're not even willing to be like, you know, hey, we've got a fun fight on the card. No, you're just burying it down on the prelims and just being like, yeah, okay, and this is a woman's featherweight bout. Yeah, Moving right along. You're just not sure to do what to do with these women. Yeah. So that is that is why my hypocrisy exists. And I don't if it is hypocritical. I don't care. Human nature is hypocrisy. You don't have to defend yourself to me, Zane. I mean, I'm, gonna, I, I'm not defending myself to you. I would never stoop. To I'm going to find you despicable you. one way or the other. Yeah, so I would like, never stoop to explain myself to you. I'm explaining myself to the audience at large. Okay, okay, good. Who I hold in much higher esteem. Mm, yeah, the ones who yell at you for misguiding yeah. their bets. Yeah, those are people I trust more than you. Um, My people. <laughs> that brings us to a bantamweight bout. Luan Lacerda, Cody Stamen. Another one I don't really quite get. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, if you have something to say, go for it. I was just going to say, like, I like Luan Lacerda. He seems mm. like a, an interesting, decent prospect. Yeah. I mean, he. I, I will say, uh, it's a little unfortunate that he's not 25. Yeah. And that he's 30 and that he's got this kind of he's got a janky young man style. Yeah. Um, he's like a younger Cheeto Vera. He's like 
very Muay Thai stance. Yeah. Slow, planted. Um, you know, sort of like sort of like heavy kicks. Heavy kick starts every fight really slow. Yeah. So sort of like picks up on ideas as the fight goes on and 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 then will like just unveil uh like a shocking takedown and, and scrambling game. It makes which... a ton of sense to me that he is like that he's uh Jose Aldo, Jose Aldo's longtime sparring partner. Mm. Oh yeah, and yeah, so, yeah, like, yeah. He he no. looks so he he really reminds you of like Hakran Diaz. There's 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 a lot of sparring partner to him. Yes. Um, I I just yeah at at thirty years old, I don't think his style looks all that functional. I gotta with be a, honest. With a decade of experience too, so it's not even like oh, and this, he's just yeah. turned pro. He's been doing this. He's been out here. He's been winning as like, it's kind of an insane that it took him this long to get here. Really? Yeah. Right. Right. Like, why was he not in the UFC when he beat Howley and Paiva in 2015? Yeah. Good question. You know? Yeah. He's clearly, yeah. Like, like Hawker and Diaz, like he, he's a very solid fighter. He doesn't like yeah. give a lot away. No. But he's also not very proactive at all. He's he comes across as like <clears throat> I think he actually reads as being slower than he actually is. Yeah, no. When he fires his strikes and his kicks, he's really fast. Yeah, but he fights at a very like flat-footed, flat-footed, static. Yeah, pace uh, and like not high pace. No, he just kind of moseys around. Like I say, it makes a lot of sense that he's a he's Jose Aldo's sparring partner because if you kind if you remove the really amazing top end athleticism and the amazing thoughtful like right process parts of Jose Aldo, you can see yeah. some mirrors of that in Aldo's game. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Um. And so yeah, maybe there's something there, but like. You want to talk about like solid fighters who it's just like who just don't give a lot away. Yeah. It's Cody Stamen with the advantage of being like a really good wrestler and mm-hmm. uh not necessarily having to start every fight at a glacially slow pace just to find out what the opponent wants to do. Like if anything, given that kind of matchup, Cody Stamen is gonna feel more freedom to just go out there and enforce his game. Yeah. So I I, I don't really understand this matchup. If you're gonna wait all this time with this solid guy in Lacerda to find out if he has it or not. Uh, you waited all that time. He's just going to give him the, the, the divisional gatekeeper. Right yeah. Away. I mean, I, I guess maybe if they think he's it's now or never, why not? Yeah. But... I mean, it, at, at that point there is a, there's a sense to it that way. Like you go in, you fight Cody Stamen, you beat him. Let's feed you to other top 15 guys. Okay. Yeah. Like you're, you're at that level. You're ready or you're not. You know, kind of like uh, Victor Henry going in and fighting uh, Honey Barcelos, mm-hmm. and uh, you get a chance to really show something great. But the problem for that, of course, is that nobody cares about Cody Stamen. Yeah, right. Like, and they put this fight on the early prelims, so not only does nobody care about Cody Stamen, but right. nobody's going to be watching, and so you just have an incredibly, incredibly tough fight for your debut that nobody cares about. Right. Exactly. It, it is a weird fight. 
Um, and yeah, like the thing is, is that you look at what all of Luan Lacerda's wins are, they are all submissions. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's a good submission grappler, obviously. He's, he can really snap stuff up. Sure. But he's got, he's got a leg lock game. Maybe he can do what Aljamain Sterling did to uh, sustain it. Yeah. Or maybe he can do uh, what Saeed Nurmagomedov did. You know, get him to shoot right into a guillotine. Sure. Could happen. Sure. But those are the only two submission losses on Stamen's record. And the level of competition that Lacerda has faced does not, it does not inspire that confidence in me. And for Lacerda, it seemed to me, watching his fights, a lot of his submissions come off of his wrestling, which yeah. is kind of good in general. But against Stamen, that means that like if you're not winning that wrestling are you going to be in position to get these submissions yeah i just don't expect him to be able to out wrestle stamen and i and i certainly i i don't i just don't think he's active or aggressive enough to to uh to to uh exploit the the flaws in cody stamen's own like low-paced striking game yeah because and it's not too it's not that long like Stamen had a really good. It wasn't a winning fight, but it was a really good fight with Marab Davalishvili. Mm-hmm. No, it's not like you can just go out there and horse him around. No, he's a tough dude to take that to take apart, to take down, to beat up, to really hurt. He's just, he's just tough. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm gonna take Cody Stamen as well. Um, but it's just, yeah, it's an odd booking. Strange fight. And two, especially, like, I mean, I know Lacerda... Actually, I don't even think that he was... He wasn't even an LFA champ. They they just picked him up out of LFA. He's on a good run, but, like... That's what I mean about this undercard. It's like, it feels like a card in, like, in Denmark, where they're just like, oh, let's get yeah, a bunch of oh, European guys. Fish fighters, yeah. Right, yeah, they just like grabbed a bunch of new Brazilians who don't don't really all seem like like obvious uh, must haves for the roster. Yeah, or even if they were like just not, you know, they threw them into fights that they're not yeah. necessarily well suited to win. Right, throwing like Gabriel Bonfim, yeah, he's not a you know he's twenty six or twenty five. He's got a all round game he's working on. He's got some good subs. He's got a great record. Good pickup, mm-hmm. but why throw him in against Munir Lazes? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, something like like Melchizedek Costa versus Thiago Moises makes a lot more sense to me than most of these other Brazilian uh, newcomers. Even then, like that's a tough fight for you know Moises is is a good fighter. Yeah, yeah, but, but that one at least I get it. I'm like Moises yeah. has, has lost a few. Costa, his momentum is done, and and Costa looks like he's good enough to quite possibly beat him. So, yeah. throw them together, see what happens. This is like, uh, I don't know, it, like it doesn't even seem like it's going to be a good fight necessarily. Yeah, if it, <laughs> like, Cody Stamen, Stamen wins, it's just probably going to be like a really yeah low paced Luan Lacerda realizing this guy just doesn't give anything to him. Fight exactly, exactly. All right, odds on the bout. Uh, Stamen is a heavy favorite. 
opened at minus 174, dropped to minus 325, currently at minus 362. Lacerda opened at plus 149, jumped up to plus 260, is currently at plus 279. That brings us to our final prelim bout. Simon Oliveira, Daniel Marcos, and um, yeah, this is probably not going to go very well for Daniel Marcos. Mm-hmm. Marcos, uh, you know, I'm glad he seems like exactly the kind of guy who should go through the contender series. And I I liked what I saw from him there, which was basically like we threw they threw him in against a pretty raw young prospect. Mm-hmm. And Marcos showed up and looked like a guy who has spent seven years on the regional scene not always necessarily against the highest level of competition on the Peruvian regional scene, but just getting a lot of experience and learning how to win fights, being gritty, hanging in the pocket, creating exchanges, forcing an aggressive fight on his opponent at all times and staying in there, you know, to, to take a fight apart to, to somebody, to a younger, maybe even more athletic prospect that that kid was not ready for. Um, but it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of like clean technical aspects to the game with that, you know, it was sort of a prototypical, uh, Muay Thai for MMA striking style with a lot of willingness to clinch and use all eight limbs, but no real clean single techniques, no super clean punching, super clean elbows, knees, any of that. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of takeover wrestling or grappling in there. Just a gritty fighter who's willing to get after it and always fight hard. Mm-hmm. He knows to get up when he gets taken down and to punish any opening he gets when he gets the opportunity. And Simon Oliveira has a lot of that same kind of style, but he's just cleaner and more aggressive. Yeah. And he's got more experience, too. You know? Yeah. And, he showed against that in that gravely fight, like you can take him off his game all day and he will come back all day and try to take the fight back over from you. Mm-hmm. Was that the one where he went for the guillotine 9,000 times? Yes. Yeah. So not necessarily learning all the right things from all that experience. Not always the smartest moves, but this is the kind of fight where I could easily see his guillotine actually just getting him a win. You know? Yeah, for sure. I could see Marcos shooting in on him with the kind of shot that worked against crushing cans in Peru mm-hmm. and having uh, Oliver just jump on a really good guillotine and, you know, tap him out. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's just the consistent aggression. Yeah. Look at it that like you, you just assume seeing a few of his performances that like, this is not the kind of, um, if even like just equally matched technically, just the kind of, experienced aggression uh, that he's used to facing. Yeah. And I think this will just be, it'll be a technical edge and a, an aggression edge of like, yeah, he yeah. can just bring, he can bring Marcos's fight to him, but better. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, I agree. I have very little to add. Yep. And uh, odds on the bout, 
Marcos is the underdog, opened at plus, minus 156, jumped to plus 128, got up as high as plus 152, is currently back down at plus 129. Simon Oliver opened at plus 136, dropped to minus 150, and is currently minus 156. That's fine. On that note, we're going to wrap things up. You can find me on Twitter at these Times. You can find Connor on Twitter at Boxing Bush. You can find both of us over at BloodyElbow.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcasts on Bloody Elbow Presents and SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all the good stuff. And we'll be back in one week's time for or two weeks' time. Two actually. weeks. We get a depressed us next week. We get a depressed us next week. So we'll be back in two weeks' time for UFC Fight Night, Lewis versus Spivak. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll see you then. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Vivis Section, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, and Radio Style Play by Play for every UFC pay per view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow. Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog and as always on bloodyelbow.com